Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's gonna be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're gonna hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk, nope. we gotta sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. Emily. Oh my gosh. Why can't you just <laughs> say So hi. we just started over this whole process because the way you introed was so dramatic. I know. I love it. It sounded intros. like Dax Shepard. And it, see, no, and that's then not this true. This one, you you're like Kurt. You're like, hey. Well, you said make it snappy. Find, find so we're the, being snappy. Find the balance. I can't even. Anyway. It's like we're having a marital argument over this podcast. Well, part of it, I'm probably a little bit agitated because I have a crick in my neck. Yes. Can we talk about that for a minute? Just a second. I don't want to spend a lot of time, but I totally know that I hold things. All of us hold things in our bodies, but mine really man- manifests in a very somatic, responsive way. Yeah, because you're one on the Enneagram and mm-hmm. you're in the body triad. So, um, that doesn't disclude people or exclude people who aren't, but I was just trying to get the Enneagram. Yeah, you were. So I, um, yeah, I woke up at three in the morning, two nights ago with shooting sharp pain and a numb right hand. Um, thought I couldn't move. I was like, I'm paralyzed. I'm going to be in a wheelchair and Brett's going to have to take care of me. Now, for some, that symptom is very similar to a heart attack. Isn't that your left side? Wait, did you say your right side? It was my right. Okay, fair That's enough. That's how I knew. That's I, not a heart I attack. had already gone through that in my head. Okay, good. <laughs> but um, I knew, no, it was shoulder back pain that had been um, coming on over the weekend when we were in van. We were in East Texas. The car rides never helped me. Weekends at volleyball tournaments and other people's beds aren't my favorite. So I do a lot of yoga when I get back, but summer is crazy and I'm not on my normal yoga schedule. My instructor, every time I come in this summer is like, where have you been? Are you taking care of yourself? And um, so I got a horrible crick in my neck. Couldn't come into work. I was jacked. jacked. I'm still pretty jacked, but I've been to Bonnie Finch, my massage therapist and Hillcrest chiropractor practice twice. Uh, Why is that? It's because we leave in two days. To go to Puerto Rico. Not for vacation. No, for for construction and farming mission work. And I need my body to be as healthy as possible. So I took off yesterday, kind of a half day today. And um, yeah, just trying to bounce back before we leave. So you're feeling decent. Oh yeah. I'm feeling like I can move. It's so really upright. I am. I'm, you know, working on my posture. I can't be super demonstrative with my hands or head right now. Well, you know, your neck and back affected me in the fact that I didn't even sleep in the bed last night to give you your full space and to not wake you up. I slept on the couch and uh, I'm not going to do that tonight. (laughs) We do have a pretty comfy couch. It's kind of wide, but 
It is. It's probably not your bed. It's not a Tempur-Pedic, nice, restful place. The dog walks around. Anyway. Oh, yeah. We today, I'm excited about this. Are you? We are going to talk about your, the listener, your questions. Yes. Because you've been sending us questions. Yes. Every now and then we'll say, hey, what do you want to hear about? What do you want to talk about? What do you want to discuss? And several of you have responded with some really great questions. And so we're going to try to tackle them today. Yeah. In the next 30 to 40 minutes. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Emily, are you ready for the first one? Yeah, I don't know which first one you're going to give me. Are you going to give them in order or out of order? You're just going to kind of... I'm going to just lob it at you. Cool. Let's just see what happens. Oh, this makes me a little nervous. I know you love this. I love being prepared, and I'm not always... I will say this is the very first podcast in all of the episodes that I've actually had a piece of paper in my hand. Way to go. So I'm prepared in the fact I wrote the questions down. Cool. So you ready? Ready. What is your opinion on modesty? My opinion on modesty. Um, modesty in, if we're speaking out of a church context, I'm going to, is it bad to assume that this probably came from someone from a evangelical or church background? I have no idea about the person who wrote it. Okay. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. My opinion on modesty is that uh, modesty is important. I do believe that modesty is misunderstood. Mm. Um, so when we think about issues concerning modesty, if we're, t- if someone, I can't assume cause I don't know who this person is, is asking, but I'm going to answer coming from someone who was involved in Southern evangelical culture, um, growing up and who had a lot of talks as a female concerning my body. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you the question, how many talks on modesty did you get about male modesty? Oh, I didn't get any. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. No, but I heard several. On women. On women. I mean, it's always your responsibility, right? Right, right, right. Because I'm the one who lusts, but it's your fault that I'm lusting. Yeah, because I don't lust at all. Because I like to look at you and you look good. And And I don't like to look... If you're wearing the wrong thing, then (laughs) that's on you. Yeah. So the interesting thing about modesty is that um, what I believe in Scripture... Um, because my, my faith is so important to me. Obviously we run Jesus said, love a faith-based, uh, organization, uh, Christ being at the center of that. I believe that modesty is about, uh, being charitable and considerable to others. Now, what that looks like in several contexts is going to look different. In other words, To the mother in Africa, who is now shot on the National Geographic channel, um, fully, you know, unclothed on her top, feeding her kids, walking around the village without a top on. She is being charitable and hospitable and in a sense, modest, Mm -hmm. because that's what's understood in her context as being modest. There is no, it's not, she is literally not just feeding her kids, but she's probably feeding a lot of people's children. So in that context, her, her nakedness is not sexualized. Right. So the problem with modesty and what we know now in working with, within the context of commercial sex exploitation is that 
it is not bad to be a sexualized person, right? We are created as sexual beings. But when we talk about hypersexualization or exploitation, sexual exploitation, that's something different. So my question um, for for me, as I've tried to unravel a lot, because I personally used to be so ashamed of my breast. I am a very full figured person. I'm super curvy. I've got big boobs. If you, (laughs) if you don't, I mean, know that then you haven't seen me. I'm, I'm a full figured person. And I spent a lot of time hating that about myself. I even saw the doctor when I was like a 17 year old about a breast reduction. Mm. Um, and a lot of that really wasn't because of of my weight, although when I gain weight, I gain it everywhere. A lot of it was because I hated them. Mm. I hated my breasts because they had been only sexualized. And I think, honestly, for me, being a mom and being married to you where, yes, are they are my breasts pleasurable? Certainly. But is that all that they are? No. Mm-hmm. And they feed and they are part to me of what it's meant for me to embrace my femininity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I'm getting dressed and I'm thinking about modesty in terms of just how I clothe myself, if I'm thinking in modesty in those terms of how I clothe myself, um, then if I'm making choices based out of a lens of shame, um, then I'm still actually, it's not about modesty mm. because I'm not being charitable toward myself or others if it's shame based. Um, so if, if I am making a decision on modesty based in what, what is decorum look like for this setting? I am not going to show up to the state Senate when we in cutoffs and a t-shirt, mm-hmm. when we testify before the Senate, right. I'm not going to do it. Um, I'm probably also not going to be wear something that is incredibly distracting. When we go on a date night, I'm going to wear something that looks different. When I'm at a pool party, I'm going to be... I mean, really, it's just about being responsible with your own body. What, what do you feel good? What do you feel comfortable in? And then in the context of anything that might be, um, you know... Cultural inappropriateness is something, and not everybody plays by your same rules. So I think that's different in every context. Some churches are, women are still wearing head coverings in sure. some places. And I, while so, I may not agree with that, I'm also not going to go to the Middle East. And if I'm walking into a place, I'm going to cover my head. Right. I like what you said about charitable both to others and to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people miss that being charitable to yourself. Well, mm-hmm. because that's what you were taught. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from a from a man's perspective, I think that honestly, we get let off the hook a lot, guys, mm-hmm. um, because we 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 at youth camp at the pool, we say you have to wear a one piece and you have to wear a cover up. You say girls. that to women, yeah, say that or to, to the girls. girls. Mm-hmm. You don't say that to the boys. The guys get to jump around in their swim trunks and mm-hmm. you know all their abs and pecs and stuff flopping around and that's great and maybe not flopping but you know what i'm saying but my i think point, when refit was on you said sloshing and I did sliding say sloshing, yes. you love that. yeah i know i don't know if that is um but but no i mean it's like we don't we tell girls cover up so boys don't lust we don't ever look at boys and say hey boys quit lusting knock it off control yourself so here's the deal 
I can look at you in a sexualized way. I can look at you at a in an admiration of beauty sort of way. Yeah. And 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 that's right. So there are times that you know, you, to use your phrase, your boobs are pleasurable. There's times I'm just like, you're just so beautiful. Right. They are just so pretty. Right. I don't want to touch them. I don't want to kiss them. I don't want to get sexual <laughs> with them. I just want to admire your beauty. Mm-hmm. That's not lusting, and yeah. that's not wrong. Right. And 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 for us to to just always make that wrong is wrong. Okay. So. Um... The other thing is that when you're talking about sexualizing someone or it all being on the onus of women to wear certain things, I mean, if if full garb, you know, um, burkas curbed less, then you wouldn't have any sexual abuse sure. in Muslim yes. countries, extreme Muslim cultures, right? Because it... Doesn't because the way we view other people in terms of it is a heart, it's it's a heart issue, it's a human issue, it's not just about dress. Well, I will say also, just as a side, the data some of the data is showing that some of the higher areas of consumption of pornography mm-hmm. are areas that traditionally women sure. wear burkas. Exactly. It's interesting. Right. Well, yeah, it's it's like the forbidden fruit, you know, and um yeah, and I also you mentioned something else about the oh gosh, the church camp culture of girls and boys and the and what they're wearing in terms of swimsuits and all this kind of stuff. And I think part of the problem that we're kind of facing now in um, our culture, especially as we're raising teenagers, is that for such a long time, the church circles and Christian families even have done so much damage in how we perceive the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. So it's all been about, well, girls can't talk with boys in this way, in this, because they're gonna. And it's like, well, um, isn't that like normal? (laughs) Like, isn't that healthy um, to want and to have your, you know, uh, sexuality awakened at some point? Like, don't don't we kind of we don't want to repress that, do we? Since we're created right as sexual it's beings, us. it's yes, in us. It's That's in not us. bad. So, how do we promote environments that teach you know um, teach girls and guys to like really respect and relate and see each other as whole beings, not just objects right. to be consumed or well, and I think that's where we've got to do future much, sexual partners or whatever do a much better job of talking to guys about this stuff talking yeah. to girls and yeah you know I do I, I I do think we need to tell guys hey you've got to control yourself what and what do you mean by that what, what, I, what guys I mean by, by that control is it, you know to use to use the bible it says take every thought captive mm-hmm. and and there are moments that We've got to encourage teenage boys, college boys, adult men. You may see someone that is dressed provocatively, and you've got to take that moment captive, right? You you can look and admire. You could look and, and admi- acknowledge that's a beautiful woman. But if you're like undressing this woman with your eyes and mm-hmm. in your mind, that's not her fault. That's no, it's on not. you. Exactly. And you've got to take responsibility for that and figure out what do you need to do? Okay, in this moment, I need to turn my chair. I need to face the other way. I need to remove myself from this situation. Or you need um, to 
write about it, have some self-awareness. Right. It's talk, not all about, well, talk she, to someone about it. she should have put on a t-shirt or right. she should do that so that I don't do that. And what I'm saying is we're let, a lot of times we're letting guys off the hook for being responsible for their actions when they need to be responsible for their actions. Mm-hmm. It's not always her fault. Well, I think there's also so much anger from the male culture regarding women who choose to dress in whatever way. Like, I know there's some hostility from males of like, uh, that, you know, slut or mm-hmm. that, you know, and calling them, that's so hostile and dehumanizing, almost like that's their, like, why are they so mad about that? Mm-hmm. What, what, are you, what are you mad about? Are you afraid of yourself? You afraid of what you want to do to her? Mm-hmm. You you afraid of what that is awakening in you, and you don't know you're not mature enough and self aware enough to handle it. Mm-hmm. Like get yeah, so yeah, get control, get control of yourself, become self aware. It's not all on her, right? Yeah. And and to, to, we've got to stop approaching modesty from a shame perspective. Mm-hmm. Again, I love what you said: charitable to others, charitable to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course so you're not you're not going to walk into the Senate in a bikini. Right. Nobody's going to do that yeah. unless you're trying to prove a point. Yeah. But um, yeah, I can get behind that. Good words. Yeah. There we go. Whoa, that went long. <laughs> um, this is a good one. How do I be a socially conscious and ethically responsible consumer? Yeah. So Lovely uh, Enterprises, our social enterprise is all about... Um, selling and making products that are ethically sourced and socially responsible. So you can be sure that whatever you buy in our store is ethically sourced and socially responsible. Why is that important? I think it's important because what we realized is that if we're going to be standing against um, human trafficking and exploitation of humans, not just sexually, but just any type of exploitation. Even labor. Sure. Which is human trafficking, yeah. right? Where, where, where that comes into play. But um, we have to think about where is our stuff made. So um, there's so many great websites um, on this. You can follow a lot of Instagram. You can search the hashtag slow fashion. You can watch the documentary called The True Cost um, to teach you more about this. But basically, um, anything that is secondhand is what we call upcycled. You know, mm-hmm. it's it we used to call it secondhand stores or thrift thrift shop thrift stores, which pop is pop some tags. Pop some tags. Um but it's it's upcycled. So so that would be considered um, you know, socially responsible to repurpose things, right? Um and the reason why is because it's reducing waste. I think that America has like I don't know how many uh, we're really driving this fast fashion culture. Everything from Forever 21, Old Navy, H&M, um, those are often sewn and created in factories overseas where you can get a lower cost for um, for jobs. But it's also that sometimes those factories are 
really structurally unsound and those can cause a lot of deaths. There's also a lot of women and men working in these places who don't get to see their kids all the time, who are exploited, who work round the clock, sometimes kids even given drugs to kind of help them stay awake and to keep producing to meet the needs of American consumerism. Mm. So for us, what we're seeing is that if everyone could slow down and really think, I know like Marie Kondo, you know, the magic art of tidying up talks about kind of going through your house and making sure that what you have there is very purposeful. It's this idea of like slowing down the consumption train. Like it's the lust and the greed that we're really tapping into that's at the heart of fast fashion. And so what we are trying to do at Lovely is let's say, let's put things out there, yes, to for you to buy things that you may need or want to give as gifts, but they're not hurting or harming anyone, first of all. And not only that, but they're giving um, the opportunity for a livable wage or a microloan to a survivor, so it's a double win. When you shop at Lovely, you really change lives. So one of the things that was really difficult for me to get my mind around when we made this switch, because early on, you know, prior to Lovely, and that's going to be my next question here in a, in a minute, but prior to Lovely, we had the Love Store. And mm-hmm. the Love Store was this online entity where we sold only T-shirts. Mm-hmm. And we kind of had this timeline of first we started with American Apparel, mm-hmm. the real soft T-shirts. And then we realized, oh my gosh, their marketing is oh, yeah. so hypersexualized. Well, and if, young girls, yeah, yes. I mean, they're rep, they're kind of yeah, it was bad. But and so then we decided, you know, we need to change from American Apparel yeah. because we don't want to support that if we're going to stand against the objectification of women and children. We need to not do that. So we changed the shirt brand we used, and we went with a different one that was a little bit better company, but it still couldn't verify that it was fully socially responsible That's and right. all you know all the certifications that come along with that. So then when we got our building, we decided we were going to the storefront. Let's make the jump. Yeah. We're moving to, to socially responsible, ethically sourced, mm-hmm. uh, fair trade, all mm-hmm. of those things. And the prices skyrocketed. Right. So why are these kind of products so much more expensive? Well, because they cost more to produce because you're actually paying a livable wage. For whoever's making it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, your cost, so it's going to cost more. Organic cotton and organic uh, products are more because it costs more to have an organic farm. And the burden is often on those farmers. Um, but what we're, what we're learning is, I mean, if more people would move in this direction, the overall cost goes down. If this becomes a more, right? right. Yep. If there's more it's demand, economics. it's economic. If there's more demand then there's more supply. Where there's more supply, the overall cost goes down. Well, and I think that's what's been interesting for folks when we we made this, all of our stuff, all of our products went higher. Even just our average T-shirts went up. But I don't think people understand that our profit margins actually decreased. Yeah, they did. Because we don't mark our stuff up to the equation that you're supposed Mm -hmm. to in retail. Um, And so I, I think that's something interesting to note. It's a more expensive product, yeah. but it's a much more beneficial product. Yeah. It's it's a high quality product. I mm-hmm. mean, these things are, yeah. they're, you know, for a lot of them, they're not industrially made. Some, right. I mean, some of this stuff is handmade right. by people, you know, yeah. um, all over the world. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's yeah, good. What, it's, it's, it is. It's just a totally different way of thinking that if we're going to totally shift 
to be an, an ethical consumer, a responsible consumer, we're probably going to pay more. Well, it's just like at the know, grocery store when you choose to eat yes. organic, you're going to pay more. And I get that, um, you know, I mean, there's times we still have to shop at Walmart or Target or whatever. Target's actually doing a better job at ensuring that the places they source from are ethical. So they get kind of better marks than a Walmart does. But um, but it it is a challenge. And I think I think for me, especially as you know, and I'm, we're none, we're not perfect. Like we know that. So I'm not trying to be like so extreme to say, Hey, everything you have needs to be solar panels. You only have to eat organic food and buy a hundred percent fair trade. I mean, but I do think if the church is going to take this stand against human trafficking, then let's not put an anti-trafficking label on plastic water bottles that you sourced from China and mark them up to $20 to get your church members to buy for them. Oh. Right? So that's a problem. Mm. That that becomes a problem for me because it lacks, it just lacks integrity. It lacks like, integrity, yeah. You're selling pens or products or you're giving away pens and products and all these things at your conferences that actually, like thousands and thousands for some of these big churches and big conferences. Yeah. But all of those things were potentially exploiting humans as they were being made. So what I hear you saying is... You're making we, money for your church and your organization on the backs right. of potentially so we, a victim. So we, from a, even from a business perspective, we've got to change our mindset in this. We've got to go, instead of cost over people, we've got to go people over cost. If that's what you say you care about. Well, yeah. If, if all you care about is profit, that's it. That's your bottom line is or get profit. It, getting the cheapest. If that's it, then I, I get why you're sourcing from some of this. But, but if you're going to be a company that you say has, quote, Christian values or socially, morally conscious values, um, it lacks integrity to do that. It, it, yeah. And if you're going to be a buyer who says you're against human trafficking, you need to think about what you're buying. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we just we just need to slow down because we're getting at the heart of consumerism, and consumerism gets at the heart of greed. Is greed is at the heart? Greed and lust are at the heart of of just uncon like just totally consuming whatever our lustful hearts desire. And of course, America. Of course, are you kidding? That's like we're we are horribly greedy people. We want to take a quick second to tell you about an incredible social enterprise. Lovely Enterprises is the social enterprise of Jesus Said Love, and its aim is reducing recidivism into the sex industry by providing livable wage jobs and launching micro businesses. So take a listen to Stephanie, one of our entrepreneurs, applying for her Lovely Micro Loan. Lovely has given me the steps and connections that I need to turn my passion into a business. It's a business that I, as a single mother, can run with ease, all the while teaching my kids some business essentials so that they will go down a different path other than the one that I chose. So check out Lovely online at ourlovelystore.com. We're also on Instagram as Lovely Enterprises and on Pinterest. Or you can come visit us in person at 1500 Columbus Avenue, Waco, Texas. Everything we make and sell is ethically sourced and socially responsible. Listen, if you're a boutique owner, we can also create a wholesale account for you, just like we do with our friends at Magnolia. When you shop Lovely, you literally 
change lives. You know, I remember a time when everything was made here that we sold. Not us, that not that we sold, mm-hmm. but just as a kid growing up, everything was made in the USA. A lot of stuff, yeah. And and, and so I get the, I mean, yeah, wanting to be more kind of globally supportive of things. I get it. It's like we've swung the total opposite way. And so while we've wanted to make better deals that are good for the economies of the world, it's like now we go, okay, we have all of these underpaid single moms or men who were incarcerated who can't get jobs because we don't have jobs to give them. I mean, the job market is increasing a little bit right now. So we, we know that, and there's more new business startups, but I still think there's some systemic issues regarding wages and what we're producing right here that can create more income for those trying to bust out of poverty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So next question, just kind of a piggyback off that. What is the connection between lovely enterprises and Jesus Said Love? Great question. Jesus Said Love is the nonprofit um, and the ministry, and lovely enterprises is the social enterprise. The way that works out is a social enterprise for us, for Jesus Said Love, means that lovely is a program of Jesus Said Love. It is training, it is equipping, and it's creating revenue for the ministry. So it's the social enterprise of Jesus Said Love that is aimed at giving livable wage jobs to women and launching micro businesses, which reduces recidivism into the sex trade. Cool. And so all the money that we make at Lovely goes to support. 100%. It is, it is still, it's a DBA of Jesus said love. Mm-hmm. So it is part of our nonprofit programming. It's not a separate. It is entity. not a separate entity. It's not a B Corp. It's not a for-profit company. It is part of our nonprofit. We've talked about this before in the parenting section, but maybe we could just touch on it really quickly again. Um, how do you talk about sex with your kids, which would be our kids? (laughs) Yeah, we get this question a lot. I know we may have mentioned it some, if you're interested, you can go back and listen to our parenting. I think we did a two part series on parenting early, early on. Kind of the big thing that I've been mulling over in the old noggin as people have asked me about this is I am thinking that if you want to talk about sex to your kids, then you need to talk to your kids about everything. Mm. So sometimes parents are asking these questions like, I just don't, oh, they're fretting and worrying about like how to talk about sex or even how to talk about hard issues, like mm-hmm. whatever it is that's come up in their classroom, you know, homosexuality, bisexuality, gender um, identity issues that are coming up within their classmates and the parents are now asking, okay, how do I talk to them about this? And I'm like, well, have you been talking to them about all the things? Because then it's not such a hard jump. When you say talking to them, you're not saying just telling them your opinion and shutting them down. Okay, so that's a good, You're talking about having a conversation, conversation which involves two parties. parties. (laughs) Reciprocal open space. True. So we do have open conversations with our kids about what they're believing. And I think that the way that both of us were probably raised was, you know, 
it was like parents gave their opinion on what you were to believe about X, Y, and Z. And so like, it was a little bit, you know, like a sermon, like if you talked about these things, then this was how parents, um, trained their kids Mm -hmm. in belief systems. Top down. Yes. And I do think there is a place for, um, saying this is, this is what we've chosen to, um, embrace and believe as a family, or this is what we believe, you know, the Bible teaches about this. I don't think it's helpful for conversation and open communication dialogue with your kids. If you have zero space for their opinions and thoughts, um, because they have something to teach you and they have something to teach us and they're dealing with realities that we're not in. We, they are dealing with issues that we didn't deal with. And so for us to have the, you know, um, top down approach, like you said, it's just not a really great teaching opportunity. Right. You know, if you, if you want your kids to listen, then listen to them. Right. And I think we, as parents, we've got to be okay with our kids having different thoughts about things. That's true. We don't need to feel threatened. Absolutely. And, you know, if, if I'm of one political persuasion Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I sit down with my junior daughter and she, through her own navigating skills Mm -hmm. and her mind and research has decided she's going to follow a different political persuasion. I've got to make space for that. And let's be honest, you don't just have to make space for it. You have to realize at the end of the day, she could change her mind. Just like you've changed your mind. Well, and I want to pat myself. I do want to pat myself on the back and go, well, that gummit, then I raised a good kid because she's using her own brain. Exactly. Because the last thing I want is just a robot. Right. And if you're a parent out there and you want your kids to dress like you and look like you and spend money like you and think like you. Yeah, it's like cloning. You need to think twice about that. That's not parenting. Yeah. That's brainwashing. Yeah. Ooh. That's a tough one. And and that's not what we were asked to do when we were given these little treasures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we were we we were asked to shape them, keep them safe, mm-hmm. and kick them out of the nest to go um, empower the world and, and change the world. And we've and, also been given these gifts as a mirror. Just like marriage is a mirror, I think parenting is also a mirror because as your child is growing up, it unlocks and awakens either abandoned needs or wants or, you know, opportunities. I mean, you're constantly being, every time your kid goes through that life stage, they, you are automatically taken back into your own formation. And so um, how you talk to your kids about sex, uh, number one, talk to them about everything, not just sex, because then, hey... How awkward is that? Like mom does, mom and I don't talk at all, but now she wants to talk about sex with me. That's awkward. Totally. Um, and then number two, have your own emotional and sexual um, health. Kind of, I was going to say health plan. <laughs> <laughs> have your own emotional and sexual health plan. Have your own understanding. Do your own work. Yeah. Be the best you that you can be and be emotionally, spiritually, sexually healthy so that then you're coming from a place of um, love and not fear. Yeah. Like you're actually self-accepting, which gives you the ability to be more accepting of your the thoughts and struggles and opinions of your kid. 
you know, um, I, I think there's there's two things I think of is is sometimes we parents operate in the mode of shutdown. Mm-hmm. We just shut it down. Oh yeah. They they start talking about something and we're just going to shut that down. Yeah. We're just terrified. Let's stop doing that. That's right. just fear based, and that does, that doesn't help anybody. Yeah. Um, and you know the other one is 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 surprise. Yeah. You know somebody says something and we're just like <gasps> oh or offend yeah offended surprised. I mean I was sixteen once. Yeah. So one of the things they you know teach us in um, healthy engagement with individuals that have encountered trauma or like in dealing with addiction and things like that is to really suspend, uh, judgment and, and just put that over like any judgmental thoughts you have. I mean, you suspend that judgment so that you can listen well. And so I do think that comes into play because instead of filtering everything of how do I judge this? Where's this, you know, and speaking to it as your kiddo is sharing whatever they want, Listen, suspend your judgment. Just just try not talking. Just try not talking and saying anything and maybe asking a question instead of voicing your judgment or opinion on it. That's good. Yeah. Parents, you gotta talk to your kids about sex. And about everything. And not just birds and the bees. Like you gotta you gotta give them space for that. You gotta yeah. talk about it. Um, because if you don't, they're gonna talk about yeah. it with somebody. Yeah. And they're gonna figure it out on their own. For sure. And then you're gonna be horrified. <laughs> This is we get this one a lot too. Um, how do women get into the commercial sex industry? Mm, yeah. Um, so I think one of the biggest misconceptions that we had is that this is like um, such a fun choice for women who ended up in prostitution or strip clubs or porn. And uh, so for some of them, it, it may have been a curious uh, wet t-shirt contest night um, in a moment of just a challenge. A lot of women are recruited by other women. Women are often the biggest recruiters for working in strip clubs and pimps and, and club managers know that, that if a woman can attract another woman to it, there's a greater chance that um, they may come and, and be in it and be involved and all that kind of thing. So it's also one of the biggest regrets. So as we work with uh, women who are exiting the industry, some of their biggest regrets are over the women that they brought in, a sister, mm. a cousin that they said, hey, come to the club, we're having a contest or whatever, amateur night. Um, so that can definitely be part of it. Um, you know, we underestimate, I know there's some talk about it, Uh, on a larger like psychosocial level, but we really underestimate the power of family. And I, what I mean by underestimate it is not like, like family, um, meaning broken family or not broken family. Um, does your family have every single meal together? Not family. I'm talking a space of belonging because just because you have a family and parents who have been together for 15 years does not necessarily mean that it was a healthy family structure, right? Mm -hmm. So when I say we underestimate the power of family, the power of a place and and a biological family of origin structure that you, we totally underestimate 
how much power we have as parents to create healthy attachment and connection with growing humans. I mean, the way we touch or don't touch, the way we talk or don't talk, um, all of that, the boundaries that we have or don't have, like Mm. all of that is just like central to who we are as we grow up. And so for women, what we know is statistically, you know, a a large portion of women in the entertainment industry um, were sexually abused as children. Why does that matter? It it does groom you. Um, If you want to listen or read stories, you can research Treasures LA and Harmony Dust Grillo is a great communicator. She has her MSW now. She is a survivor leader. She talks a lot about how childhood sexual abuse um, really groomed her for a profession in sexual exploitation. Um, and so addiction, we see addiction, you know, take root early on. Again, why are people using? We really believe trauma is the gasoline to addiction. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a disease. Yes, you may have a brain that is chemically wired to become addicted to drugs or alcohol. But if you've got trauma, then that is like kerosene, you know, on on a fire, on a flame. So I do think we understand the context of choice. Um, For women who, quote, chose to be in the commercial sex industry, I would ask, what is the context of that choice? If they grew up in poverty, if they grew up with a broken uh, family or dysfunctional family uh, structure, and if they were child, if they were abused, sexually abused as a child, uh, the context of their choice looks like the strip club or uh, prostitution or bonding with this pimp who gives them food, shelter, clothing, everything they need to socially, quote, thrive and fit in. Yeah, that's going to look like a pretty viable option. So that that's those are some factors that lead to um, work in the commercial sex industry. Mm. We get this one a lot, too. I feel like I need to be asking you questions. You're asking me and I'm talking a whole lot. I know. No, you, you talked a lot about that. That's okay. good. No, that's good. You can ask me questions another time. Okay. I mean, I'll chime in when I have something to say. Um, is there really human trafficking here in our little community of Waco or our little state of Texas in our country of the United States? Is there really human trafficking here? Yes. Every small town in America. Do you have the internet? Do you have Wi-Fi in your community? Human trafficking's there. Yeah, it's there. I mean, I don't, I, I can't even, I mean, just research, you know, read, uh, watch the news. Human trafficking does not mean that necessarily every victim is chained up in a dungeon somewhere. Right. Uh, human trafficking looks like forced fraud or coercion. Um, it looks like someone being brought from overseas because they were promised a university scholarship or a modeling job, or a visa um, to get here, and then were coerced into a restaurant uh, paying $2 an hour, and they had to sleep in the back of the restaurant in an unair conditioned shed. Mm -hmm. So that can look like, that could be, that's happening all across America um, in lots of restaurants, whether it's like what we know of the Vegas buffet here, Mm -hmm. or a Mexican restaurant, or... Um, yeah, I mean, maids, uh, people who have live in, um, sometimes housekeepers that that can happen to, um, 
and then as far as the sexual domestic sex trafficking, what we know is of the 300,000 kids who are trafficked each year within America, those are American kids. Mm. That 300,000 kids trafficked annually a year, those are American U.S. citizens. So yes, it is happening here. You can go to Polaris. Uh, that's a great organization, Centers for Nationally for Missing and Exploited Children. Mm-hmm. Um, you can unboundnow.org is another one you can look at for research on what's happening in Texas. Yeah, lots of great organizations. And it's good for this. us to educate ourselves in these issues. Totally. If we open our eyes, we'll see it. I mean, yeah. you and I work in, in this world, and so we see it. But, we, but even just as parents heading home for the holidays, we saw it at, gro- at, at a gas station, yeah. you know, a couple of years ago. I mean, yeah. just- and it's important to become educated, learn what to look for, learn how to report it. Um, most leads for rescuing victims come from concerned citizens. So that's really important because that means you have power well, to create I, impact totally. here. I mean, I think about that story not too long ago of some people in the airport. I think it was DFW. It and was, they, they saw mm-hmm. two men and a kid and he something looked, didn't look right. He looked drugged. And yes. sure enough, yep. this kid was being smuggled out of the United States. He was on his way to the Middle East to be sold. At DFW. And they were able to intercept him because some people... My who friend were, who contacted me, she was leaving for a family vacation. She had her kids with her. Um, and they, she went to go get coffee and saw this kid who clearly was with two older gentlemen. He was about... He was a little older than Gus, so he was probably about 11 And uh, he looked a little bit disheveled and his eyes looked very glazed. And the older, one of the older gentlemen had a firm grip on his wrist as he was walking Mm -hmm. him through the airport. And so they were stopped and questioned. um, And she, she's texting me and she's like, look at this picture. Oh my gosh. I just don't even know, but is this a trafficking victim? And I said, it certainly looks suspicious. Go tell a gate agent, call, you know, the uh, human trafficking hotline. But talk to your gate agent immediately and use the word, I think there's a human trafficking victim potentially right here. And so, yeah, they when they were interrogate, interrogated, the claim was that um, this was like a, some sort of special program for um, maladaptive behavioral kiddos. <laughs> and so they had put the kid on a drug or something to transfer the kid to a care facility. Um, and so, yeah, they were totally already through security. Okay. Mm-hmm. They had gone through TSA. They were almost to the jet They bridge. were almost on the plane and a friend texts me. So yeah, it's just, it's, mm. it's everywhere and we have to know what to look for because that can save a kid's life. If you see something, say something. That's right. To use that phrase. Always. All right, uh, we have two more questions. Okay. Um, this one I'll, I'll kind of take and you jump in. Um, the person asks, what are the early steps of starting a nonprofit and fundraising? Go for it, Brett. Well, typically my first response is don't. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> um, scare all the people away. What? Gonna, I want to scare you away. Oh, and then if you still come back, then that tells me okay. that you're you're probably ready to do okay, this. Okay, so if someone's ready to do it, what do they so need to do? So if you haven't been scared and you're like, let's go, let's do this. Um, the first thing I would tell you is is um, think about your name. Pick a name that people can spell. Okay. Because um, I'll be honest, what a lot of people don't know is our, our formal nonprofit is called Bartimaeus Ministries. The parent. Mm-hmm. That's the parent organization. That's the one that's registered with the government. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I uh, was moved by the passage in Luke 18. about Which is the, beautiful. You know, the blind Bartimaeus yeah. Becker guy. Mm-hmm. And um, I was moved by that story. But what I didn't think about was when you have people write that on a check. <laughs> Bartimaeus. Everybody right. wants to spell it wrong. Every time I call to pay our... Cell phone bill, AT&T got a Bartimaeus. Bartima- so we we could have called it Blind Man. We should have called it Blind Man or blind something man like that. Ministries. So my, my first <laughs> practical step is pick a name that people are going to be able to spell on your check. Yeah. Something that's smooth. Something that you can um, you know, have a web address for. Um, I would also say surround yourself with really, really smart people. Yeah. Um, early on, we were given the name of an accounting firm um, that has been with us from the beginning. Yeah. And they specialize in nonprofit and ministry taxes mm-hmm. and organization. Mm-hmm. And so um, we've been at this over 20 years now with mm-hmm. Bartimaeus. And um, they've been with us every step of the way. They yeah. do all of our taxes. They mm-hmm. do our payroll. They do our 990. Mm-hmm. They do all of our reviews. Um, I email them on the regular. Hey, can we do this? Is this within the scope of integrity? Mm-hmm. Is this, what is this? And they're like, no, that might be unrelated business tax, blah, 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 blah. And they're just way smarter than us. Mm-hmm. And they helped us incorporate. Mm-hmm. Um, they took care of all that. And um, that was just because it's a long process mm-hmm. and it can be really difficult and it can be expensive if you don't do things mm-hmm. right. Um, you know, you can't, you can't, um, you, you can't uh, be political mm-hmm. as a, as a nonprofit. You mm-hmm. can't say, I want Donald Trump or I mm-hmm. want Hillary Clinton. You don't get to say that. Mm-hmm. You have to be neutral. And mm-hmm. that was actually brought in by President Johnson back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, so there's little things like that you got to be responsible with. Mm-hmm. And so it's really good to surround yourself with smart people. I go on to say, um, when you pick your board, you want to pick a good board. Yes. You know? One thing I was thinking about board leadership is, it is important to have one vision, but many experiences. Mm-hmm. And so I do think for the sake of, you know, a healthy board is a diverse board, both in gender and ethnicity. And that's one thing that we're learning. And that's one thing that we're um, growing in is understanding just the value of that. So, um, yeah, as we're seeking to to grow and expand and, and really you know, one vision, many voices, right. you know. And I would also add that every nonprofit is unique. It's yeah. like a person, you know, has yeah. a unique personality, has a unique function, unique visit, a vision, unique role in the community. And so, you know, look at nonprofits that you're attracted to and kind of see and learn from them how they do mm-hmm. things. Ask questions. Um, look at, you know, the the events that they put on, what, you know, mm-hmm. don't mimic them, but mm-hmm. just you know, be inspired by what they do and, yeah. and look at that. And from a fundraising perspective, the story, mm-hmm. tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, we need money to mm-hmm. do what we do, but we need to invite people into something bigger than just writing a check. Yeah. Nobody just wants to write a check. Yeah, People want to know they're a part of something that's bigger than themselves and they want to know that their money is having impact. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're about to leave on this Puerto Rico trip and there was like 40 something people that came alongside of us to help us make this trip happen. Right. And so it's not just Brett and Emily and the kids Mm -hmm. and some church members Mm -hmm. going to do mission work. We're taking 40 some odd people with us Mm -hmm. because they financially invested, which means now they're emotionally invested in the Mm -hmm. work that we're doing. They're not going on the trip, but they're still very much a part of it as much as we are. Yeah. 
And the way that happened was by us telling the story. Yeah. And so you got to tell this. If you don't have a story to tell, then you need to not have a nonprofit. Yeah. You need to, you need to know your why you need to really spend some time just creatively and, and introspectively thinking about why you're doing what you're doing. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that people know about it or you know, and are, are you, involved in Are it. you doing something someone else is already doing? Totally. If you're starting a nonprofit and there's already several or another nonprofit doing the same work, consider joining with them and yeah, learning I mean, from them. And you might even be thinking, well, well, I, I will do it better. Mm-hmm. Well, then go join them and make them better. True. Because that can get arrogant. It can get divisive. Yeah. We've seen that happen in other sure. cities. And so if there's somebody on the ground already doing exactly what you want to do, don't start another thing. Yeah. Just go join them and help fill them the be better. Yeah, and fill the gaps. You know, what services aren't being done? What what kind of nonprofits don't exist? Um, for what topic or what injustice you're concerned with, and fill that gap. You know, and be transparent. Yeah, always. Just, mm-hmm. There's nothing to hide. Yep. Just be in the light. Yeah. Last question, and then we're going to wrap things okay. up. Should prostitution be legal? Oh. And I'm going to stop you right there because mm. we're going to come back and do an entire podcast on that one question. Let's do it. So let's wait and hold off on that and okay. we'll get to that down the road. Love it. I'm so glad to sit here and visit with you today, Emily, and Me answer too. these questions. Please, guys, keep sending those questions in because we want to talk about what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. We want to talk about what's on our hearts, but we want to know what you want to hear as mm-hmm. well. And as you can tell by this point, we'll talk about anything. <laughs> we love to be candid. And we think we'll all be better for that. Yeah. And next week, we'll be coming at you from Puerto Puerto Rico. Rico. And we, um, yeah, what an exciting time for us to even be traveling to Puerto Rico right now. I think the governor's resigning today. The governor's resigning. So maybe by the time we get there, we'll be able to go to Old Town San Juan. Because right now, there's a lot of people there. We need them to move so we can come in (laughs) and go see the thing. Yeah, we're not egocentric or anything. No. (laughs) No. We're not ego saying we're just selfish. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, but I am I am so excited to go. And so our next podcast is we're gonna come at you live. Oh, we're, we're taking the gear. We're taking the to gear to the island. Taking and we're it gonna to the sit island. there and you might even get some interviews from our kids. Yeah, I think they, you know, Hattie bought today when we were out preparing for the trip, she bought with her own money this little tripod stick that moves so that she can film. She's wanting to put together a film kind of on her iPhone and edit something that she can give to the supporters and people who supported us. And I just love that she came up with that creative idea. So I think we're all really excited about what we're going to learn and and the people that we're going to meet and learn from. It's just, I really am excited about that. I'm excited. Everybody's excited in their own ways. Yes. It's not just what we told them. Right. And they're all expressing it in their own ways. Yeah. So if you want to, you want to follow the trip this next week, we'll be gone from Friday to Friday. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at BA Mills at Love Waco, or we'll be posting on at Jesus said love as well. And you can follow the story and the feed. We'll have stuff up there. And, um, I think that's all we have. That's it. Hey, thanks for joining the Jesus Said Love podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to awaken hope and empower change with us. We want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. Yes. Because your voice matters. It's how we get this message into the world. And lastly, be sure to follow Jesus Said Love on Instagram and Facebook for up-to-date info. And visit the website at JesusSaidLove.com for how you can join the JSL fam. Until next time. Share the love.